Welcome to MHM Podcast Network on MovieHouseMemories.com. Podcast for pod people. Our feature presentation begins now. Welcome back to the golden age of the silver screen on the MHM podcast network, where each episode we review a film from the 1930s or 40s, and this time the 1960s. I'm Chris. I'm also Chris. And I'm the token quirky minority character. (laughs) And for this episode, we've got us a group of fellas looking to steal some money and Chris G's heart, and that is... 1960s Ocean's Eleven. That's apostrophe S. Starring Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin, Sammy Davis Jr., Peter Lawford, Joy Bishop, a very young Angie Dickinson, Cesar Romero, and booze. Lots of booze. And, oh, did I say director? And this one was directed by Lewis Milestone. The Lewis Milestone. And if you have not seen this film, I'm going to give a very brief spoiler free summary, especially because this is about illegal activity and I don't want us to get in trouble for revealing anything we shouldn't be. This film starts with Danny Ocean as he's getting his World War II compatriots back together to pull off the ultimate Las Vegas heist. His gang will rob five casinos, Sahara, Riviera, Desert Inn, Sands, and the Flamingo. Have all those been torn down at this point in time, by the way? Flamingo still Flamingo's there. still there. Oh, okay. They're going to rob five casinos in one night. Will they do it? Watch the movie to find out. Oh, P.S. Angie Dickinson looks very good in this film. The end. Shirley MacLaine looked very good in this film as well. You very know, drunk. Very drunk, yes. And also... I know she's uh, her brother's Warren Beatty, and I never thought they looked alike. But in this film, she did look like him to me. A little bit. A younger Warren Beatty. Yeah. 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 Patrick, I know this is a favorite of yours. Do you have numbers on it? Yeah, I do. And that was a very brief summary for this film. (laughs) It's one of those you either go very brief or I'm going to have to go into all the plots, subplots. Sammy Davis singing and driving a garbage truck in... You forgot about the blackface. Don't forget about the blackface. I knew that oh, I was color gonna was going to Yeah. <laughs> Poor Sammy. They give him a racist joke. All right. Ocean's Eleven was released on August 10th, 1960, 1960 uh, the same year as Spartacus, Psycho, Exodus, Swiss Family Robinson, The Alamo, and Butterfield 8. It grossed uh, over $5.5 million at the box office, making it the ninth highest grossing film of 1960, right behind The Apartment, which also had Shirley MacLaine, and right in front of a film called From the Terrace. It was included as one of the 500 films nominated for AFI's 2000 list for the 100 funniest American movies uh, ever made. Ultimately, it did not make the top 100, so it wasn't on the list. 
which is surprising because although I think it has some comedy, I wouldn't call it an, an out and out comedy. I don't either. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes has it at 48% critics and 81% audience. And that is the brief numbers on Ocean's Eleven. Uh, are either of you a heist film fan? Because if I remember correctly, this is, we don't do many of them. I'm trying to think of any others we have done. Usual suspects we have. Um, Goodfellas has some heist aspects of it, but it's, I Die would hard. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it's a Christmas movie and a heist. There you go. Yeah. And yeah, we're going to review good. Kansas City Confidential heist film. Uh, what was the uh, the other noir that we did? Uh, darn it. Did we do The Killing? Stanley Kubrick one? I did not do it. Oh, uh, we've done another one. So anyway. We, we don't do a lot of them. I like heist films. And that's yeah. one of the things I like about this. And I love uh, Las Vegas. And I'm a huge fan of the Rat Pack. So there's a lot of things that I like about this particular film. Um, but... That being said, it's it's still kind of a half-assed <laughs> attempt at a movie. Well, these are a group of guys. They're all friends in real life, and they ad-libbed a lot in this film. So I think they had a loosely based plot structure, and they just relied on their charm and their friendliness amongst the, each other. Yeah, it felt like it just felt like all the guys they were performing in Vegas and good idea to get together and do a film and, and uh, they happened to be there and you're right. It was just all about the camaraderie. That's why Shirley McLean did this film. She's got a little bit part, but she just wanted to hear the guys perform in person. So she did it for free. Was she a name by this point? Was she a, was she yes. a rec- Cause she was uncredited in the movie. Correct. No, she was, she was, uh, she took a break from filming the apartment with Jack lemon um, and came out to Vegas see, as Chris said, to see the show Okay. And they put her in the film, and she got a car as her payment. Okay. A beautiful Edsel. No, I think they'd already gone to shit by then. No, but but I agree with Chris. It's, it's just, I mean, that's the strength of this film is the camaraderie between the actors and friends just hanging out. There's there's something to be said that I like. I like watching actors who look like they're having fun and enjoying themselves. And when you hear about, hey, these people really do like each other, that, that to me makes the film – that much better and you, you see it, the you know back in the back in the old days like the 70s and 80s where clint eastwood used to make the films with the same group of actors and the same crew almost every single time you know so you saw jeffrey lewis and sandra Locke and a few other other uh, character actors that always would appear in his films it's like it's almost a, like a traveling troupe this week we're going to do bronco billy next week we're going to do any which way you can you know that you know they, there's there's something fun about that experience to me as a moviegoer understanding that and these actors knowing that they liked each other and had a lot of fun with each other makes the film a little bit more fun and enjoyable and helps me gloss over some of the glaring plot uh, plot holes in the film. And, and going back to what you just said, I'm sorry, but there's nothing fun about a movie with Sandra Locke in it. I'm sorry. Back in the early 80s, I, I had no problems with Sandra Locke. I, she was not a talented actress, but, it, you know, I was so comfortable seeing her in films, uh, in Clint Eastwood films, because she was in so many that it was, you know, like Jeffrey Lewis. He's not, he's a great character actor for a Clint Eastwood film, but it's not like he did a lot outside of that, uh, that uh, kind of, I, I, I guess we're calling Clint Eastwood a genre now. But. Yeah. <laughs> He is his own genre. (laughs) 
the are you feeling lucky genre. Yeah. But you know, let's let's talk about plot holes a little. I I did go at the very brief summary, but there's a lot of weird things that I just didn't understand. Spiros uh Espedos, what, what was his name? Mm-hmm. What what was his whole deal in this film? Why did we need him? It's yeah, well, he wasn't was not. he financing the whole operation or something? I mean, you know, obviously in the remake with Elliot Gould, he was financing the operation. Is that what is that what Spiros's character was doing in this one cuz it's not a lot of the characters aren't really they spend the whole first hour of the movie defining the characters, but not, they're not really that defined. Uh, the, the sub characters are um, every character had like a, a really good introduction. You knew who they were right away. But considering they spent the whole half of the first half of the movie on just the character development, they didn't talk about what the heist was at all. They could have flushed that out a little more. And maybe the reason they didn't because there are so damn many of them. I mean, it could have been Ocean 7 or Ocean 6 or something and, you know, had a little bit more uh, definition of the characters. They had fewer of them. Not, yeah. that I didn't, not that I didn't mind seeing Mr. Roper, who's awesome. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I'm assuming Spiros was kind of the bankroll, although that's never spelled out as many things in this film. It's never spelled out. You know, not all the characters had specific things to do obviously the guy who was working the uh, kind of the uh, the engineer that to make when the power went out the doors would unlock i mean that he had a specific role and everybody else was kind of uh get a job and work in the the casino and that was their role which and be as obvious as humanly possible that you're staking the place out correct you know things like that you know so it would it it, it seemed kind of as i said glossed over don't think too deep about this it, it's all going to work out in the end yeah, it's kind of like you know like a michael bay movie in that you know what you're in for if you're going to take this movie seriously you're going to be disappointed so you gotta you have to go into it knowing exactly what it is you're going into it back in the 60s in that day you're going in to see the rat pack just riff off each other go in with that open mind and enjoy it and you're going to love the movie and the plot because the plot is you know the plot holes are are glaring, so you know, brush them aside because the characters are so fun to watch. What's interesting, actually, about the plot was that the actual heist itself, to me, was very boring. Uh, I thought that it was interesting at the beginning for portions of it. I thought that the heist was pretty dull, and the uh, the post heist was great. The, the the best part of the film. Yeah, I mean, I think the strength of this film. It's not the setup because I agree with Chris. It takes too long. Uh, and I don't, after an hour, I still don't even understand kind of the, the dynamics of these characters. You know, I, I understand Frank Sinatra. I understand Peter Lawford. I understand Dean Martin and, and the, and the engineer, even Sammy Davis Jr. Other than, you know, he likes to sing songs uh, with <laughs> other garbage men. I don't really know much about that guy. And uh, yeah, uh, like I, my wife likes this movie. We, I mean, we are, you know, she likes the Rat Pack as well. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, we watch this movie every couple of years, and every couple of years, it's like she forgets. Like, what, what the hell does this song even mean? You know, <laughs> like, <laughs> why, why, why do they stop to sing it? I'm like, because he's Sammy Davis, fucking, <laughs> and you don't get that kind of talent on the screen, and don't give him a song because we're going to get one from Dino in a little bit, and we're going to get it three or four times. But it, it and 
it's a song I really, really like, but it's like, it slows down the pace of the film a lot. And, and, and that's one of my complaints generally about musicals. And I wouldn't consider this a musical. I think it just has these musical interludes, but it really is like, er, let's stop now so that Sammy can do a song and dance number. Uh, and it, you know, just, it's one of my complaints about this film is that it, it, it tried too much to be too many things is it ice film, somewhat comedy, although I would not put it fully in a comedy, somewhat drama, uh, and then a little bit, just a dash of musical in there. So uh, kind of based on what you're saying then, because I agree with it, um, don't you think they could have gotten rid of uh, some of the characters and it gave, obviously people were going to, who were going to the movies back then wanted to see Sammy sing. They wanted to see Dean Martin sing. Wouldn't it have been better to get rid of some of the other characters and some of all that to concentrate more on the, the main four or five characters and let each of them do a little bit more? They could and have get robbed their one musical... casino with less people. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that would have given them the opportunity to do a little bit more music, a little bit more of their, you know, their bits. Because everyone got a great introduction. I mean, right away, you kind of knew who they were. And... Uh, Going back to Sammy, I think he was the best actor out of all of them, to be honest with you. Yeah, but he got to sing and dance, and they could have gotten rid of all the other stuff and just focused a little more on your big names and let them have a little bit more of their, uh, you know, their solo time. I, I will agree that Sammy is the best actor in the film, other than maybe Angie Dickinson or Shirley MacLaine playing drunk. Yeah. Uh, uh, Dean Martin and Frank Sinatra and Peter Lawford are playing themselves. They are just showing up and reading lines. That's all they're doing. They are not playing a character at all. They and they they didn't appear and, and to my and from my perspective didn't appear to be working very hard at their act. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, they were really acting. They're just kind of behaving. Co correct. And it was uh, and it's uh, I agree with Chris in his assessment. Chris G in his assessment. Like yeah, it would have been better to narrow the characters. Because at the end of the day, as much as I appreciate Mr. Roper on the screen, yeah. I, I don't remember much about him other than he was one of the casino workers. And I don't remember too much dialogue from him. I mean, the guy from Texas, the, the guy with the Texas draw, yeah. I mean, he had a couple of lines of dialogue. But, but not, did you need him? No, you didn't really need him. Yeah. Um, the, the, the guy that was, um, God, I remember he was a bad guy, I think, in uh, Buck Rogers years later, but I can't remember his name that was going around and kind of trying to get people together at the beginning. And he, he, he actually did something. The Joey Bishop and Spiro character, you could have combined those. The only reason you have yeah. two is so that they can have a conversation between those. Cause the guy just by himself in a scene is a real boring fucking thing. And you know, at least it gave something for Spiro to talk to Joey Bishop just sat there and stared at him and drank a drink, <laughs> a drink most of the time. So it was, it, it it wasn't yeah yeah I agree with you they they threw in extra actors just you know to uh, no, might as well called Norman Fell background scenery you know that's all he was he he wasn't really essential to the plot poor Stanley poor Mister Rope well it's funny you're talking about the Spiro character and what is he doing he kept reminding me uh, the way he kept whining well what about this well why do you do this well what about this well that guy's not here he kept reminding me of the guy in Broken Arrow. I kept waiting for, you know, Sinatra to hit him in the throat with a flashlight or something. You know, <laughs> the, the guy who just kept saying, I, I'm losing my uh, 
you know, I'm losing my trust. I'm losing my confidence. Yeah, I, I, I mean, why, why would that guy have connected with Sinatra, who by all intents and purposes, his group, most of them, other than the one guy, were not criminally oriented. Yeah. And how they would have got connected and agreed to do this and even why they would agree to do it, it's just the lack of motivation for it all just is startling to me. Well, the funny thing is you didn't need for the way they did this heist and as simplistic as it was, you didn't need all these ex, you know, commandos, Green Berets, Airborne Division. And all. It was so simplistic. Anybody could have done it. They were they mentioned the line in there about how we you know, we have the equipment now. Well, really, what equipment did they have other than. You know, being able to spray, <laughs> you know, some neon <laughs> footprints. Exactly. I mean, that was really the whole. That was the whole heist. That and, and that was Sammy. Switching the, that they and that was Sammy. yeah, yeah. That was Sammy. And and again, where does Spiro come in? Because Sammy's the one who apparently stole that or got it or whatever. Spiro was like Mo uh, in uh, The Simpsons, where you just call him up and prank him, and he acts funny, and there's your laughter. Do either of you ever watch uh, Rick and Morty? No, no. So they have one episode. the The writers, the creators of Rick and Morty, hate heist films with the passion, and they made a spoof of heist films altogether. And oddly enough, I had watched the episode. I don't know about two, three weeks before I watched Ocean's Eleven again. And in that episode, the whole time, every new person they brought in, they are all "You son of a bitch, I'm in." No, no matter how ridiculous the, the proposal was, <laughs> you son of a bitch, I'm in. And so when I'm watching Ocean's Eleven, all I'm thinking of is that damn line, you son of a bitch, I'm in. And in that regard, it made Ocean's Eleven that much funnier. But you guys should watch that episode if you like <laughs> heist films. Uh, or maybe you might hate Rick and Morty because of it. I don't know. Well, all I know is I'm going to work that catchphrase into just about a daily dialogue. <laughs> My wife's going to be going to the grocery store. You son of a bitch. I'm going. I'm in. Now, I do want to talk about the uh, subplot of Duke Santos. You know, he's the ex. Well, they don't say mafioso, but that's pretty much what he's implied, I'm sure. And uh, how he kind of unravels the whole thing. And he's unravels the whole thing. I think it's more like just suddenly comes to a sudden realization that that's what happened. I, I think you're being generous by calling it a subplot. First, <laughs> well, subplot would entire and would entail that we need a plot first within Correct. the realm of the ocean's heist. <laughs> it, what do you he was that? a guy who happened to be there and dating one of the other uh, a, a, a uh, the Peter Lawford's mother, which I wouldn't say is much much more than a a very convenient plot detail <laughs> for the film, and came to a realization that oh, these guys who never committed any crimes before they must have done it. And then he goes and confronts them and they are so devious that they admit to the fucking crime within 30 goddamn fucking <laughs> seconds, even though he has no proof, no proof whatsoever as to them being involved in the crime and they give it up. And it's like that it wasn't a subplot. It was okay. We got five minutes to wrap up this film. So we need to have some sort of conflict and then have the conflict resolve in a, a somewhat funny manner. See, and I thought that I thought the best part of the film was when they got to the final act, when Cesar Romero figured it out. I thought that was, that's when it really started that last 20 minutes. Once he figured it out, I thought that's when it got, you know, it really, it really I don't want to say really good. Cause it was good, 
but I thought it, I thought it took off a little bit. How they there. weasel him out of his portion he's demanding. Exactly. Y- yes, th- I mean that was interesting. Other than, you know, I I, I I will just always be frustrated with what are you a cop? Like who? What? But an innocent an innocent person would never start going. What are you a cop to a guy who's confronting you with committing a massive robbery? <laughs> it's just like what the hell are the two of you doing? You're not even. Tr- trying to play coy and so they give up the farm right away and it's like give wow. them half give them half yeah uh, I, you know i thought the best part of it was the resolution i thought that was really really good because no one got it and i thought it was creative for its day it's it's an unhollywood ending and that's I, the ending of this film is a, the, an ending that i absolutely love i think the ending was the high point and not the last 20 minutes. I'm talking about the last five minutes. I hated that. Oh, Where they're strolling oh, down it. the street in front of the Yeah, broke and poor and dejected. Uh, yeah. Oh, God. How that would have been perfect if they would have, if that would have been a setup that they left the $10,000 money ban, knowing that Cesar Romero would figure it out and blah, blah, blah. And that way he would think it all got, you know, incinerated. And then somehow they actually had it. You know, I kept waiting. I kept, I kept thinking at the end of the credits, we're going to see them, you know, living it up or something like that. I couldn't believe they let it end that way. Oh, I love that ending because it's so un Hollywood. Uh, and it's, you know, that them getting away with it would, I, I, I would have been unsatisfied with that, especially in the way that they set it up. I oh, also, oh, by the way, by, by the way, uh, spoiler alert. <laughs> in case we didn't mention that earlier. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's only been 60 years since the film came out. If anybody yeah. hasn't seen it by now, go fuck yourself. So. Well, you know? I saw it yesterday for the first time. So, Really? Go yeah, fuck yourself. <laughs> yeah, I, I did. And I, lo- and I love the Rat Pack. I got, I'm a huge Dean Martin fan. I think Dean Martin is maybe the coolest dude who ever lived. I love Dean Martin. I love the whole Rat Pack. We've got a John um, Wayne film for you then. Oh, really? No, but I've never, I, I had not seen this movie until yesterday for the first time. And I actually watched it again today. I will tell you, though, for the sense of humor, the collective sense of humor for the Rat Pack, I think this is really the only way the film could end. Really? You wouldn't let him get away with it? No, I don't, I don't think it fits their kind of MO. So I think that they're, they're smooth talkers, but they never fully succeed. So then where does that leave Frank Sinatra with Angie Dickinson? Because he had such great plans. I think that's a pattern in his life which is why Angie Dickinson <laughs> was how she was. I, I get the feeling this was not his first failure in that regard. No. But, and I'll agree with you on, and once again, I'll say in that subplot, and I still think it's a generous to call it a subplot. Air quotes. Is, air quotes. Yeah. Is it's not necessary to the film. They threw it in to add some female characters into it, to add some sort of, for lack of a better term, sex appeal. Uh, but, it was. It didn't matter to the course of the film. The, his relationship with his wife, uh, and or, or, as well as that entire scene with uh, with uh, Dean Martin and Shirley MacLaine, it wasn't necessary for the story. It was nice color, and if we had all the time in the world, it would have been great to flesh this out. But it didn't tell me. Uh, the Angie Dickinson told me a little bit about the Frank Sinatra character, but it. You know, I don't know at the end of the day, if he truly learned anything, because it sounds like he's been a kind of a dick the entire time during their marriage. Does anybody get the feeling that uh, Peter Lawford's character was kind of the same way he was in real life? 
in terms of asking mom for money as opposed to asking the Kennedys for money. He did it pretty easily. Yeah, he said it seemed to come real natural to him. No, I, 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 as I said, Peter Lawford, Dean Martin, and Frank Sinatra were playing themselves. That's yeah. all, all they were doing. All right, Patrick. So I'm going to ask you the important questions. And Chris, you can answer this one too, because I know you've seen the film. Which film were they better in? Dean Martin, Sammy Davis Jr., Ocean's Eleven, or Cannonball Run? Okay, well, let's, let, if we're going to compare apples and apples, you have to compare this film with, Sammy Davis Jr., Dean Martin, and Frank Sinatra in Cannonball Run 2. Oh, there you go. They are all three in that film. That is the official last Rat Pack movie. And without question, and no hesitation whatsoever, they were better in Ocean's Eleven. (laughs) Now, I only saw Cannonball Run 2 way back in the day in bits and pieces, and it was so bad I don't even remember it. As far as movies go, you have to go Ocean's Eleven. As far as the characters go. I loved them in Cannonball Run. I love Sinatra. I mean, uh, Dean Martin and Sammy Davis Jr. and driving that Ferrari in Cannonball Run, and the lines that Dean Martin comes up with were just great. Because you're small, small. S M all. It's just class, just classic. Dean Don Delaware's. Oh, nice, nice car, father. Oh, thank you, asshole. I mean, oh, I thought they they were great in Cannonball. So characters wise, I go Cannonball. Movie wise, I go Ocean's Eleven. Yeah, I, I, I love my favorite characters in Cannonball Run are Sammy Davis Jr. And yeah, Dean. they in the first one, the second one, not so much. Uh, but the, the, the first one that they make that film to me, they have all the best lines uh, throughout it. And they even have the best bloopers, you know, uh, <laughs> that's the best part. <laughs> yeah. These bleeds. These bleeds. <laughs> I mean, these bleeds right here. That, that film these was what, right 1977, here? and we still quote I, that to this day. I, 1981, uh, because I, I I saw that when I was doing a family trip. We went to go see Superman two, and it was sold out. And so Cannonball Run was the only. It was a two screen theater, and so we had to go see Cannonball Run because we drove 45 minutes to go see a movie while we were on this trip. <laughs> and I love that movie. It came on HBO. I watched it all the time. I still watch it to this day. I don't watch Cannonball Run two very often despite the fact that it was filmed around Tucson and I can go, yeah, that's this area. Yeah, that's this area. <laughs> Did you ever see the original precursor to Cannonball Run, the Gumball Rally? Uh, I, I, back in the day, cause I remember yeah. reading that it was, but I, I, I seen it once and probably, probably like 84, 85. So it has been a long time since yeah. I've seen it. Does Death Race 2000? Uh, <laughs> I don't or, think so. Uh, <laughs> Not quite the same. <laughs> Did, did it have Dean Martin? <laughs> That's Vester Stallone. Yeah. They played nuns in that one. <laughs> Chris, did you have any talking points you wanted to talk about? Sammy and, I had and black, Whiteface? The Blackface. The Blackface. Well, we got to get into Blackface. And we got, and, and that kind of leads into my next question. Again, obviously, like I said, you don't really think about plot or anything like that with a movie like this. But one question I did have, unless I missed it, once Cesar Romero found out, why did they have to change how they were going to get the money out and put it in the casket and everything? What, what changed? I mean, what was their original plan to get it out? Why did it have to change just because Santos knew? You know, I I didn't understand why what they had to change for that. They didn't. Okay. Thank you for clearing that up. I was just making sure I didn't, you know, miss something. He, nope. he knew why, they had it. He didn't know where they had it or how they were going to get it out. 
You just knew it was still in town. But they had an original plan to get it out somehow. Why has that changed? Just because he knows. And why did they have to do the whole garbage can thing anyway? They obviously took the bags out of the casino to throw them away. They could have just gotten in their cars and driven back to, you know, wherever it is they were staying. That's just me. That's my one little bit of critique, I guess. What, what, like take the bag, get in their cars and drive away? Yeah. Well, they said the idea is that they were going to close off uh, Vegas, all the routes out of Vegas. And the sheriff said we had all the roads closed within uh, they were out the door by then by the time everyone knew it they were already out the door hey you can't escape the long arm of the law there i guess not apparently not and if you're gonna try you better have your paperwork in order it sounds like yeah buford t justice (laughs) there was all over that shit had those (laughs) closed down in a heartbeat him and roscoe got it done and taken care of so nobody was getting out with that money there ain't no way you're coming from my loan and yeah. why, as long as they're going to the mortuary, why was it necessary to go in in blackface? <laughs> well, they, had, they just needed the joke. Okay, well, they yeah, they had to go into blackface to get the money out of the dump to bring it back into town. <laughs> yeah, because you can't do that as a Caucasian. I understood this was, hey, this town is closed down tighter than a duck's ass. <laughs> and except for... Hey, the colored guys with here with the, the truck taking the trash. Can we let him through? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let him through. Yeah, let him through. Get the that money. thing. Out. And this wasn't even good. This wasn't even Gene Wilder blackface. This was like half-ass patchy blackface. Yeah. The way I understood the logistics is the money was already out of town because it came out through the dump truck with Sammy Davis Jr. Because he got through that blockade. They said, get that big thing out of here. And he drove it down the road. So he left the money at the dump area and then the uh, maybe i'm wrong maybe i'm misremembering it when they decide to put it in there they have to go get it from the dump and then bring it back into town to put it in the casket which makes exactly yeah oh i agree with you it doesn't make any sense the money's already out and safe they may get caught by santos who has absolutely no evidence up until he gets the 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 money band at the uh, mortuary which they go to so that they can get the money, you know, get the body out and the money out. But if they didn't do that, then he would never have found that. And they would have had no, he would have had no evidence and they would have gotten away scot-free. And Mr. Roper thing, could have driven it to San Francisco. Amen. Exactly. And as long as they're going to do that scene where they're going to be in the car together and they're good, you got Dean, Sammy and Frank in the car together. They should have given him a musical number there. That would have made the scene make sense. Nobody knows yeah, the, the only reason I've to seen. have it. What? Yeah. <laughs> I, sweet low. I mean, then it would have been worth putting the scene in because otherwise it was just, yeah. You know what I did like? I enjoy seeing Las Vegas that doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. Uh, uh, I'm a, a big mid-century modern atomic mm-hmm. retro a sort of guy. And so I liked seeing the 60s retro look. I love seeing all the whole old casinos even the cars and you know, you could probably turn it and watch this film with the sound off and enjoy it in many ways, just as much. Uh, me too. I love seeing those downtown things with, uh, you know, Fremont street before they put the canopy up and all that. I'm the same. I'm same as you, Chris. I, I love that old school feel to it. I, I, I think that's awesome. The only part of that old school feel I didn't like was that really detailed map that they laid out on the pool table. The big napkin. 
yeah. the guy's like, this one street, the guy's like, is this the only road in and out of town? We fucking work in the town. How, why don't you know that? Because Las Vegas, the, this modern metropolitan city, has one road in and one road out. <laughs> yeah. And apparently, according to Mr. Roper, some guy cut up his family and tried to get out of town with them and got roadblocked. Not really feasible in the real world, even in 1960 <laughs> Las Vegas, but. <laughs> All right. Well, after all is said and done on a scale of one to five, do you consider this film a bad one or do you give it a high five? Chris G, since it was your first time seeing it ever. I, I give it a four because I love the Rat Pack and uh, I like the banter and everything. And I knew what, I knew what the movie was going to be like going into it. So I didn't expect anything other than just to see the guys have fun. I would say three and a half to four is where I would give it. If they let them cut loose a little bit more and just banter a little bit more and worry less about the plot, I'd probably go a little bit higher. But like I said, I love the Rat Pack. I really love Dean Martin. And uh, so for that alone, I give it a you know, a, a small four. Yeah, I, I would give it three and a half. I really do like the film. And I think the coolness aspect of the film is it's, it, it's just a fun film. You know, don't don't think too much about the details. Don't don't worry about those glaring pot hole, plot holes. Uh, just go along for the ride. M much as Chris said, uh, is like a Michael Bay film. It's just it's just a ride, and it's fun. I like my I, I like Sammy Davis Jr. I like Dean Martin. Uh, I like Frank Sinatra. I will agree with Chris uh, Chris H. Uh, uh, Dean Martin is uh, you know kind of my favorite in this film. Although he's not working hard as an actor, but it's it's just fun to watch them interact with each other. And the setting of Las Vegas, especially in the 60s, is an, an era that is no longer in existence. And it's just it's just fun to look back at it and have a good time. I, I watch it all the time. I like the sequel, or not the sequel, I like the remake. I, I really do. Mm -hmm. I, I think the George Clooney and Brad Pitt remake was a really good remake. I think it's actually probably a superior film. And it has a lot of the same things I like about it, but I don't watch it as much as I watch this one. This one is the one that I watch more often. A little less nostalgic value in that one. Yeah, I agree. Um, I'm only going to give it three stars, the least of the, the group. I, I enjoyed it, but there was extensive stretches that I was bored in this one. And it's usually in the middle. Um, it's the, uh, you son of a bitch. I'm in section where they're pulling people <laughs> together. It, it gets a little long and tedious, but Chris G's already mentioned that. I do not think that this is popcorn fare, like a Michael Bay film because those transformer movies fucking suck. I have nothing good to say about Michael Bay's transformer movies and they are not a good ride. Ocean's 11. It's a fun jaunt. Don't expect much out of it though. Well, with that pleasant <laughs> reveal, uh, that's it for Ocean's Eleven. Please let us know what you think of the film in the comments section and for our listeners over on moviehousememories.com, rated from one to five stars on that page as well. If you enjoyed today's review, please don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel, the MHM Podcast Network, where we have many, many more film reviews from yesterday, today, and beyond. Until next time at the big show, when we will review another classic from the 1930s or 40s. I'm Chris. I'm Chris G. And is it lava soap that gets blackface off? I, I am having Yeah, lava. Okay, all right, thanks. And I'm Patrick. And that's a wrap.
This podcast is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. The song Hyperfun is brought to you by Kevin McLeod at incompetech.com under a Creative Commons Attribution 3.0 license. All original content of this podcast is the intellectual property of the golden age of the silver screen, the MHN Podcast Network, and Fuzzy Bunny Slippers Entertainment, LLC, unless otherwise noted.